are listening to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. Dennis Paoli is a playwright and a screenwriter who has had a long, fruitful collaboration with the late director, Stuart Gordon. Hi, this is Mark Redfield. Welcome, and thank you for listening. In 2009, I got a phone call from Stuart. Uh, They had uh, just premiered a play called Nevermore, An Evening with Edgar Allan Poe. And when I say they, I mean Stuart Gordon and writer Dennis Paoli and actor Jeffrey Combs. They premiered it at the Steve Allen Theater in Los Angeles, and it was their desire to perform the play in Baltimore at a theater, at a space called Westminster Hall um, in the year 2009, which was the bicentennial, the 200th anniversary of Edgar Allan Poe. I was doing some work for the Poe House and Museum of Baltimore, and um, spent a couple of months on the phone working out the details um, so that they could bring Nevermore to Baltimore, where Poe is laid to rest. Unfortunately, it didn't work out, and um, I had even found another theater. The the space, uh, Westminster Hall, is primarily used uh, uh, pre-COVID, Uh, for uh, weddings and events. And that's where the city was uh, producing a number of Poe-related events, either to raise money for the Poe House or, of course, to honor Poe. And so Stuart and I decided that maybe it was a good idea to wait, and we only had several months to wait, and we did present it in Baltimore in January of 2010. And that's when I first met Dennis Paoli. But let me back up just a moment. Um, Way back in 1985, I took a break from a project I was working on and just went to a movie cold without knowing anything about it that was called Reanimator. And I fell in love with it. I was gobsmacked and uh, became a fan for life. So that was my first exposure to Dennis's work as a screenwriter. So anyway, back to Nevermore and the conversation you're about to hear between me and Dennis Paoli. Uh, I stayed on the periphery uh, of the production Nevermore, an evening with Edgar Allan Poe, uh, all the many years that it had toured and played around the country and was lucky enough that on a handful of occasions was directly involved uh, after Uh, the Baltimore production uh, that I produced that was financed by the city of Baltimore. Uh, Many years later, in 2015, it was presented by Brian Moore and Izzy Lee uh, in Boston, where Poe was born. And uh, I was the associate producer. And um, all along stayed a friend of the production, as they say, Talking to Stuart on and off, uh, there was uh, a desire to turn the play into a film, 
which we'll hear about later in the conversation. And um, if you've been listening to our pod, our podcast and you have been uh, following our productions, um, I am thrilled and grateful that uh, in 2020 we were able to release an audiobook, a recording recorded before a live audience in Boston of Nevermore, An Evening with Edgar Allan Poe, which stars uh, a brilliant turn, a brilliant performance by Jeffrey Combs. So um, this conversation is long overdue. I've wanted to, uh, to talk uh, in depth about the process and the creating and the collaboration between Dennis Paoli, Stuart Gordon, and Jeffrey Combs. And um, this uh, conversation with Dennis took place in March of 2021. It really sort of starts to percolate with the Masters of Horror, the Black Cat. How did the, right. the how did the black how did the black cat come about? How did you get involved? Well, actually, that there's it percolates uh, long before that uh, in the mind of Stuart Gordon. Um, Stuart uh, was always a huge uh, Edgar Allan Poe fan from from when I met him. And uh, it's one of the things we shared uh, back. Uh, I knew Stuart in high school. I met him uh, at Lang Tech High School in Chicago. And uh, one of the first things we did as friends was go to movies. And among the movies that we were partial to were the uh, uh, Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, uh, Hammer films, uh, the, the Dracula films. And the American International, uh, Vincent Price, Basil Rathbone, Peter Lorre, uh, Poe adaptations. Um, when, and uh, so we were uh, sort of studying Poe and appreciating Poe and being entertained by Poe uh, from very early on. And uh, it was, uh, and he was always, you know, Poe is a uh, uh, accessible uh, at every level, Poe is accessible to to young kids. Uh, it's it's scary stuff, but if you read Poe carefully, it, there many of his stories are jokes. They're absurdist and often horrific jokes, uh, often on the storyteller himself. Uh, but Poe is Poe is actually uh, horrifically funny. Uh, so we were, you can be a big fan of Poe from your teens on, which we were. Uh, so it's, it was sort of uh, something that had been planted in both of us early on and something that we shared. Um, and when Stuart uh, went into theater, uh, when uh, was the uh, director and uh, artistic director of the organic theater in Chicago, uh, he, uh, was one of the best theatrical storytellers uh, yeah, probably in the country. Uh, he had, the organic theater was a very uh, a narrative theater. They were great storytellers. Uh, and uh, among the stories they told were uh, a, a couple of Poe plays, including one that was, that was written about Poe's, uh, a fantastic drama about Poe's last uh, 
last days in which he fantasized uh, scenes from his stories. Uh, so Stuart was keeping that connection to Poe uh, through the years, and so was I. I went on to become an academic, uh, studying at Columbia and then teaching uh, for uh, decades at Hunter College of the City University of New York. And among the courses I taught uh, for, again, about 20 years was Gothic fiction. And in a, in a Gothic fiction course, uh, you, you must teach Poe. So I had a, a Poe uh, story or two that were in the syllabus every year. So we both kept well, our connection with Poe over the years. And then yeah, and it, when, and it, uh, when Stewart got, became a master of horror, uh, you know, not, not from, uh, from his success with, uh, the, the films that he had made when he became, when, when we were, uh, when he was asked to, uh, provide episodes for, uh, Mick Garris's, uh, Masters of Horror series, uh, we were known for our, uh, Stuart and I were known for our Lovecraft adaptations, and we did one of those. We did, uh, for the first season, we did uh, Dreams from the Witch House, which Stuart had right. been wanting to do uh, for a long time. And then the second year, he was asked to, and then the, the series was re-upped. It was very successful. It was re-upped. Uh, and Stuart was asked to provide, uh, to uh, give, do another episode, to direct another episode. And he suggested we do the Black Cat. He had had it in his uh, head for a long time to do uh, a, an adaptation of the Black Cat, but with the twist that the Black Cat is told as if it were Poe's story, as if Poe were the narrator, were the narrator figure. Because frankly, it, it, it's one of the stories that Poe wrote that actually comes to some degree out of his life. Uh, Poe, for as peripatetic as he was, uh, meaning Poe lived in in so many different places. He was so poor and uh, so often uh, looking for work that he moved from uh, city to city and uh, uh, apartment and house to house uh, multiple times every year, almost every year of his adult life. and uh, he, even under those circumstances, he always had pets, he, uh, and he usually always had a cat. Uh, Pluto uh, appears in a number of his letters. His cat, Pluto, uh, appears in a number of his letters uh, and uh, was a great favorite of his wife, uh, whom, whom, uh, his wife, Virginia, whom he loved dearly. Uh, so Poe always had uh, a cat uh, in the house. So the black cat was actually, to some degree, one of the most personal stories Poe had written. And uh, Stuart wanted to look at that from Poe's perspective. Uh, And uh, so he wanted to have Poe as the main character who was seemingly living through the story when actually what he was doing was living through the creative process of creating the story, which was uh, a, a very ambitious and uh, difficult kind of narrative to pull off, and uh, darn it if Stuart didn't do it. Uh, the Black Cat was because uh, you've got about an hour week to to tell that story. Uh, yeah, you have you have an hour. Uh, you know, you actually have a little less than an hour because it's you know it's television, um, mm. and it's uh, 
And it's also uh, was, a, you know, you have a limited budget. And uh, while the Black Cat does not have a, a lot of characters, it has a number of different settings. Uh, you're working with an animal. And uh, it also is a, a costume drama. It's uh, placed in another era. Uh, so uh, it, it, we were a little afraid it was going to be costly and we'd have to cut corners. Uh, but, you know, Stuart was always, uh, it was always important to Stuart to tell the story as well as you possibly can, no matter your budget, no matter your time frame. Uh, so, uh, we, we simply told the story as best we could. And luckily we had, uh, <laughs> we had the talents of, uh, Jeffrey Combs in the lead role, which made it, uh, possible to do, uh, uh, to do almost anything. I mean, Jeff was is so good in the part. And as it turns out, uh, Jeff, uh, who had been in a couple of our Lovecraft adaptations, uh, was uh, a, uh, a huge Poe fan himself and was, uh, was you know, not only anxious, but insistent to play Poe, uh, mm. including uh, the prosthetic makeup that it would take to have him uh, he actually looks a little like Poe. Uh, don't tell him I said this, but he looks a little <laughs> like Poe. Actually, Poe is handsome. Poe is very. Poe is very. Uh, Poe is a ladies' man. Uh, so uh, it was uh, in his day. Uh, so to to say that Jeff, to some degree, looks like Poe to begin with, if you put a little facial hair on him to give him that mustache, uh, he uh, is is to some degree a compliment. But it did take a little prosthesis. Uh, to make him look even more like Poe, uh, which was which came across spectacularly in the uh, in in the filming. Uh, so uh, so that's sort Absolutely. of how it came and, about. And we'll get we'll get back to Jeff and uh, Poe uh, in a in a little bit. But I mean, I'm curious about um, process. You had you know because you have this long friendship and uh, relationship with Stuart. And uh, so if uh, he gives you a call, says, oh, we are going to be doing, uh, you've already done Dreams in the Witch House, uh, which of the Masters of Horror films series um, are some of the few that are uh, taken from classic horror literature. But you're given the green light to do the Black Cat. Um, you get the call from Stuart. Does he share, I'm curious about process. Does he share his outline with you? Uh, at what point, what's your process from that point on to do the teleplay? Uh, that's, you hit it right on the head. You, what you just described is pretty close to uh, what actually happened. Uh, to start with, when uh, Mick Garris is a really uh, excellent producer in the sense that uh, he trusts you, he trusted mm. Stuart, he trusted Jeffrey, and he trusted I, to uh to do good work um so uh when when you got green lit you really got green lit i mean go ahead and do it uh here's your budget here's the time slot uh you know go uh and uh Stuart, uh as i said pretty much had this this idea was fairly fully formed in Stuart's consciousness and Stuart's creative consciousness uh to begin with he had been he had been working on this uh in, uh, in, in his uh, imagination for a while. 
and had a pretty firm idea of how it would play out. It wasn't a complete outline. It wasn't a full treatment. But he, uh, but Stuart was a master storyteller. As I said, his uh, the organic theater, his theater in Chicago was uh, a great. Uh, they were great at narrative theater, uh, and uh, his uh, the some of the best uh, aspects of his film work uh, aren't just. He he got known for his films being moist, as the term went, for being bloody <laughs> and gory. He got known for uh, them being outrageous and funny. Uh, but what if you watch his films carefully you don't have to watch them carefully if you watch them uh at all you're you have to be struck by what what a good storyteller he is what a good cinematic storyteller he is uh and uh, it was always it was my experience working with Stuart that i could always count on him for a great sense of story for a great narrative sense uh if we yeah. came upon a uh uh uh, a bottleneck in the story if we came upon a, a character problem that was difficult and thorny to solve uh, I would lean on Stuart and Stuart invariably inevitably would come up with not just a solution but a brilliant solution that uh, that made the story better uh, mm. it was uh, he was he was uh, he, he was a master storyteller uh, and, How long uh, did it? I don't mean to cut you off. Ever this is great. No, no, no. I, I, how long did it take you to write the draft uh, that became, or how long did it take you to write the script for the Black Cat, and then they go into production and start shooting? Uh, you know, you're given a few months uh, to. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you're given a few months, but it it that this was most of. Our projects, most of Stuart and and my projects that we worked on together, uh, that we either co-wrote or that I wrote for him, uh, it, it would, for which he often got uh, story credit, uh, really went fairly efficiently. We we worked fairly efficiently, even though we were mm-hmm. on different coasts. Uh, yeah. We rarely worked face to face. I mean, we had we had a long history of working face to face. Uh, we had been in a uh, uh, satire group together in uh, in high school. We had done theater in college, and I had worked with him on a couple of shows for his theater in Chicago for the Organic. Uh, when did you however, make that? Uh, when, when we when we worked on film, uh, we worked primarily by phone. I mean, this is these right. are by by phone and by FedEx. These are the days before email, before <laughs> you know final draft. Uh, yeah. you know, you would, you would write it up, type it out and send it, uh, by, you know, say, you know, send it by uh, federal express. And, right. uh, so that's how we worked. Uh, and, and, and we knew each other's, uh, uh, writing abilities and, uh, proclivities and we knew each other's imaginations so well that that worked. That you know, whatever we communicated, however feebly, across a telephone line or in a uh, in a hard copy text, the other person would really understand. The other person would would fill in, uh, would read between the lines and fill in the blanks, and uh, and augment it from there. Uh, so uh, 
uh, that was pretty much our process. And but I, I the Black Cat was written in, in a, about a month, a little less. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a wonderful collaboration, and I can only imagine. Mm-hmm. Check me if I'm wrong. Um, from this early friendship, from high school into college, with the improv group toward the organic theater, your senses of humor mesh uh, incredibly. Um, well, that's and that's, that's evidence, what we discovered about that's it. evidenced by some of the films and the humor in in the Pose stuff, including Nevermore, yeah. which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. The play. Um, and did you? Am I wrong? Did you? Did you? jump in as an actor and when did you when did you want to be a writer or is that always uh, part of who you, you are i you know i the <laughs> uh when i was a teenager i wanted to be everything i was actually a uh i was uh you know as i said we went to a technical high school stuart was an art student stuart was an artist mm-hmm. when i met him uh, and he continued to draw his entire life. He drew. He would draw his own storyboards often. Um, and I was a uh, I was a math major. I was a math hmm. and science uh, head. Where we uh, where we crossed paths was in uh, one was in science fiction and in horror films. Uh, right. you know, and, and I was coming at it from one perspective and he was coming at it from another perspective. And so we could, we could, you know, we could provide value added for the other person. We could riff on mm-hmm. what they said and take it into another area and, and do that for each other. And the other thing we noticed right away was that we had very close to the same sense of humor. Uh, yeah. you know, we, we found the same things funny which were not always things other people found funny. Uh, so, uh, you know, that, that was, uh, it, it, it made a fast friendship. I, I, I think uh, our friendship became a fast friendship when we, when we discovered uh, how much fun it was to be with the other person. Uh, you know, uh, Stuart loved telling jokes. Stuart was, uh, Stuart was incredibly funny, but he also loved to laugh. He loved to, uh, he loved, if I could write something that made him laugh, uh, mm. it, it was one, really satisfying for me, and two, it got done. Uh, so as, as I said, we had a satire group to begin with. We were, we were growing up in Chicago, so our heroes were, uh, the, were Second City, the actors. Second, second the writers, City, yeah. Second yeah. City, and, uh, uh, and, and uh, sort of the, the humorists, from the South Side, who don't get a lot of credit, but if you were, you know, but the, who came out of the University of Chicago, like Mike Nichols and Elaine May, um, right? You know, so uh, and and Lenny Bruce was a big hero of ours. So uh, mm. you know, we wanted he we loved that edgy humor, that humor that was on the edge, which ended up you know going into our horror films. Uh, that's very you know you're walking uh, you know a, a real line there between horror and humor, and uh, you know, it's we wanted to do that in uh, in such a way that you got the benefit of both. You got the horrific elements and the humorous elements. Uh, so uh, that that came from our uh, our uh, pretty much our original appreciation of each other's senses of humor. 
yeah. and you know, they, and as I said, Poe is uh, Poe is an absurdist humorist. Uh, you know, Poe is uh, Stewart's favorite Poe story is the very short story, uh, "The Imp of the Perverse." And, Which a lot uh, of it's even about, Poe fans don't really know. Yeah, yeah. Imp of the Perverse. It, it's, it's fundamentally uh, at the core of uh, Poe's uh, creativity. And uh, in it, uh, it starts out and it reads, and I taught this. I taught this in my Gothic fiction class. And it starts out like an essay. You think you're reading an essay. And what it really is, is a rationalization by a madman of a crime he committed, a, a, a murderous mm -hmm. crime he committed. Uh, mm -hmm. But the perversity is that he can't keep it to himself. He's committed the perfect crime. And because it's the perfect crime, he has to give it away. He has mm -hmm. to give himself up because it's perfect. The perversity is that perversity within ourselves which is that self-destructive impulse, which Freud understood, which Freud would discover uh, 50, uh, half a decade, uh, in a half a century after Poe. Uh, yeah. Poe was a, a brilliant psychologist, uh, besides being a, uh, a brilliant writer. And uh, he, he, his stories delved into uh, the deepest and darkest uh, corners of the human psyche, uh, which troubled him. They were, I, I, I think to some degree he was, uh, his stories were therapeutic for him because he could, uh, uh, externalize his own, uh, uh, tortured mentality. Uh, but the imp of the perverse is, uh, of, of, is a fundamental story in, in understanding Poe. And it was Stuart's favorite. And it is, the idea at the core of a couple of Poe's most famous stories, the Telltale Heart, of course, and yeah. the Black Cat. Check me if I'm wrong, but the imp of the perverse basically is tripping over oneself, shooting oneself mm -hmm. in the foot, doing these mm -hmm. things uncontrollably that muck up, screw up, all of our mm -hmm. dreams and best intentions, and somehow well, you're right, we're right. exactly. our own worst demon. Yeah. Yes. Um, it, yes. That's exactly it, Mark. It's our demonic self. We have a demonic yeah. self within us that always that that we only have it because we are also idealists. You have to be an idealist. Poe is a, a great idealist. Poe. Poe. Po, Poe was a poet. Poe believed in, in uh, the transformative power of poetry. This, you yeah. know, he was an idealist in the extreme, but only an idealist at that level can truly have a, a, a demonic self, which will always be undermining that idealism. Uh, yeah. That, and, and that understands that that idealism, that every ideal comes with a shadow. Every ideal yeah. throws a shadow, a dark shadow that can subsume that ideal and destroy it. Uh, and, uh, and, po and, you know, if you look at Poe's life, Poe lived that. That was, uh, well, that's, that was, that, that's, the, that's the central dynamic of 
Poe's personality. There's so many known episodes throughout his life where he did that. Mishandling mm-hmm. oh, yeah. his relationship out of flashes of anger with his foster father. His, oh, yeah. his college career. His early uh, work being hired to be an editor. Onward and onward and onward. Yeah. And the High Wire Act, which is wonderful about the, your adaptation of The Black Cat... Because on the one hand, Poe is incredibly pr- prolific. He's, he's writing essays, he's writing mm-hmm. magazine articles, he's writing short fiction, he's writing poetry. And for someone so prolific, here comes this shadow. And I think it's a marvelous choice. Um, and the high wire act of your Masters of Horror, uh, Black Cat, mm-hmm. by using Poe mm-hmm. and trying to find that color of the the the, the creative act and the tension uh, of that. Right. And uh, right. it's very, right. very neat, very neatly done. And, and just to, to, to tie, tie that up in a bow, um, it, it makes a hero of Poe. Poe is heroic in the sense mm. that he was constantly uh, self-sabotaging himself with, uh, with publishers, uh, with fellow writers, uh, with mm. collaborators. Uh, he, the fact that he, with, you know, uh, with, uh, with, with women. Uh, and uh, it, was, uh, it was remarkable that he had as uh, successful a career as he did with uh, with that uh, with that ostensibly oppressing him uh, oppressing yeah. his imagination and yet it was so brilliant in, in imagination and it was so uh, urgent to him that he express his uh, his stories his, the narratives that he lived uh that uh, he ended up being—he he ended up being one of the most important American authors of the 19th century, if not uh, in all of American literature. I, yes, yes. Let's jump over the film adaptation, Pit and the Pendulum, for this conversation, because the mm-hmm. stay on track with uh, talking about uh, Poe the person, the Poe the writer and the man, and uh, getting to Nevermore, the play. Because the famous story goes that um, the, uh, the Showtime Masters of Horror Black Cat, very successful, obviously Jeff fans love it he turns in a beautiful performance it's a wonderful little, little film yeah and the yeah. story that i heard from colored slightly differently from stewart and from jeff was that while doing it stewart while while on the set and while shooting it the uh the myth goes the legend goes that stewart just turned to jeff one day and said you know you you are poe um and that planted seeds for we should do something with you as Poe. 
as you mentioned, you know, Jeff is a great fan of Poe's work. Yeah. And, uh, well, he's an, oh, by the way, before I forget, just a complete segue about humor, because uh, Poe's humor <laughs> is a very important thing to me. When I first mm-hmm. saw Reanimator in 1984, I was working on a, I was acting and directing in a play with a group of 11 other people, a movement theater thing. I was zigzag, I was zigging while other people were zagging. And I did a completely non verbal <laughs> thing called called My Sad Face, based on a short story by Heinrich Boll. It was a live, silent film comedy. Mm, oh, lovely. And, and, in the, uh, and then uh, taking a break, because we, we rehearsed and built it over about nine weeks, there's a film that I had heard nothing about and went to see it cold, and it was called Reanimator. Mm. And it was so refreshing to me. I mean, I'm a horror film fan and a horror literature mm-hmm. fan and science fiction fantasy. This film washed over me and I found it so refreshingly funny and so tight. And so um, it's, it was just a marvelous thing during uh, when, when your brain and heart and soul is working on a project and you're so enveloped in it. It's one of the few things that penetrated my little bubble in 1984 building this this play and so i wanted Mm -hmm. to say thank you for that but the theme of humor will come back but anyway the the Mm -hmm. the story goes and 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 jeff is an actor after my own heart Uh, he's very much into research getting it right not being exposed as a fraud and that includes your your mentioning his need to look 100 percent like right do the prosthetic nose Make sure right. that the wig gets the hairline right, uh, yeah. and of course you you've got a right. finite schedule. You got to get it in the can, so they're not going to let him grow his hair. But the the point of it all is is that uh, from these conversations, and as I understand it from Jeffrey, he began to sort of in the back of his head wonder, and he first um, rejected the entire notion. But then somehow it really caught hold of him uh, and Stuart. And the choice, if I can remember what Jeff said to me, was, um, like all actors, you know, or writers, it's, it's not necessarily that somebody knocks on the door and demands us. You know, we create our own work. You, you write <laughs> right. a novel because you got to do it. You, you make a yeah. one-man show because you want to work. And yeah. uh, so that's where Nevermore, An Evening with Edgar Allan Poe, is born. Kind of directly out of the Black Cat. And there is, uh, as I understand it, then a long um, a long gestation period, a long sort of dipping into it uh, between Stuart and Jeffrey. And if I understand correctly, you uh, get the call, you come in, um, what they had done together was sort of select the you you you've only you know you're you're talking about a live theatrical performance that's maybe ninety minutes, so they're going to be very selective. they picked uh, a tale or two and they picked poems that they wanted to include. They started working on those, and yet it needed the package it needed the structure it needed all of that. So they had been working, or Stuart had been working with Jeff on Poe's works. 
when when did you get the call from Stuart saying, and I'm paraphrasing, check me here, um, we need a beautiful frame to put this in. We need a trunk to pack this in tight. Dennis, go. What? How did that happen? Again, you're you're very <laughs> you're very close uh, to the mark. Um, it's interesting. The writer's perspective is uh, is uh, it's what I have, and it's the writer's perspective yeah. is to some degree always the least interesting perspective. Uh, yeah, on, well, on to the me. creative process. <laughs> but, no, no, I understand. I understand. Uh, but it's uh, you know, you know, as you said, they when they were on the set of the Black Cat making it. I, from what I understood, it was very exciting. It was like, oh, this is working. Oh, Jeff, you're so great. Oh, let's do this, you know, and you know, let's 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 make it look this way. Oh, you know, you know, if you if you watch the Black Cat, it's shot in, in color, but it looks almost it's pushed really toward blue, and so it's almost mm-hmm. black and white, with with hint with the with the hint of color in it, uh, you know, which gives it a very odd but you know, again, uh, uh, authentic kind of look. So there was a lot of creativity going on after I, you know, after I sent in the script and was off the project, the writer is always the first person off the project when it's, uh, you know, when it's Hollywood, you know, you send in the, you know, they're bothering, they bother you. Dennis, we need the script. Dennis, can we look at it? Dennis, you know, oh, you know, (laughs) this is good, but could you change this? Dennis, do we, you know, we need it tomorrow. Can we, can we just send us what pages you have, please? You know, you know, Dennis, you know, we're, 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 you're wonderful. We love your work, but you know, could you, you know, and it's like, okay, 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 okay. And then you send it to them and then you don't hear another word. You know, if you're lucky, they send you a check. Uh, But, you know, it, uh, (laughs) you know, it's you're off the project, you know, and then it's all about, yeah, we love the script. Let's make it. You know, they don't go around and say, thank you, Dennis. That was really good work. You know, Stuart will, you know, Jeff will, but the producers never do. You know, so you're off the project. You're you're the, they don't think about you. Your work, my work here is done. Uh, so I didn't get, I, so I have never, uh, though I'm, I was Stuart's oldest, one of Stuart's oldest friends, uh, though I've considered Jeff a friend for, uh, decades now, I've never yeah. been on a set with them. I've never, you know, gotten to work, uh, uh, in the, uh, in that part of the creative process. Uh, my work's over, you know, I live in New York, you know, there, you know, I'm, I'm on the other end of the, the other side of the continent. Uh, so, you know, I was, so I didn't participate in that, in, in what I understood was a very rich, uh, creative experience, uh, that they shared, mm-hmm. uh, which cemented for them the idea that they wanted to do this again, that, you know, Jeff really was Poe, that Jeff channeled Poe. I mean, I could see it when I saw it, when I you know, when I, when they, when I saw the cut of the episode, it was like, this is spectacular work, Jeff. And this is, mm-hmm. you know, this is uncanny. Uh, his, uh, his, uh, it wasn't an adaptation. It was, uh, it was, no, it, you know, he, he sold, <laughs> he, he sold Poe's soul. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and it's a torturous story. He, you know, it's, uh, you know, 
uh, Poe's best stories are about the torture of the, the soul. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and Jeff went through that, had to go through that to tell the story. So, uh, so he really bonded with Poe and, you know, and, and he and Stuart bonded on the idea and I knew nothing about it until they called me. Uh, although Stuart might've mentioned that, you know, we should do something about Poe, Poe's life, you know, et cetera, uh, over the, right. the intervening years. Uh, but when, but uh, when they called me, yes, they had, we have this idea. They, they and they, and, uh, we have this, you know, we have an idea of, uh, one man show about Poe, it would be a reading and they did have the framework. The framework was, this isn't Poe talking to a modern day audience. Uh, this mm. is Edgar Allan Poe in the last year of his life, maybe the last months of his life, doing what mm. he needed to do to keep his family economically, to keep himself, uh, his, his wife was dead by this time, to keep himself economically afloat, which was to do public readings. Uh, and Lec- he lectures, did public, public readings, yeah, he, yeah. Yeah, he did some famous public readings in New York and a very famous one uh, in Boston, which for me was the model of this one, in which he showed up uh, totally distracted. Uh, uh, he uh, was, uh, it, it was a very dissatisfying performance. Uh, he actually dragged some of the audience back to his hotel room to show them what, you know, some new poetry he had written because they were so dissatisfied with the performance. And the fact is he was probably drunk. He was, uh, he, 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 several uh, reports uh, and reviews of the performance uh, suggest that he was uh, probably intoxicated through the whole thing. Uh, so, and, and for the, and for the listener yeah, who know. doesn't, a little, a little color for the listener. Uh, this late in Poe's life, and the model of the lecture appearance that you're talking about, all of Poe's adult professional life. Uh, he was born in Boston. His his mother gave yeah. him a great blessing uh, to friends in Boston. But with the critics. And the literary society of Boston, he was at war his entire professional life, and so yeah, there was he, an the uh, transcendentalists quality. were his uh, yeah were his yes. enemies were his yes. uh, uh, aesthetic enemies. They uh, they questioned the morality of his work. They questioned the quality of his work. Uh, uh, although they could not question the quality of some of his poetry. Uh, yeah. And it, but it was grudging uh, when they did uh, uh, write, uh, and and this is at a time when most criticism and and Poe, what Poe Poe is actually changing literary criticism at this time. He's writing honestly about other people's work, where most literary criticism, in an effort, of course, to sell magazines, to sell the magazines in which the poetry uh, appeared, uh, most literary criticism were puff pieces. Oh, this poet is great. You should read his stuff. Oh, look, next week, in in next month's edition, we have poems by uh, that particular poet. Uh, You know, but uh, they... They were partic- the critics therefore were particularly harsh 
on Poe. Uh, and uh, aside from which, he was not a transcendentalist. His, uh, his philosophy is uh, much darker than the, than transcendent, than the uh, sort of uh, uplifting spirituality, uh, which, uh, in spirit, which inhabits uh, transcendentalism. So he was always at war with the Boston, and they were housed in Boston and Massachusetts primarily. So uh, he was always at war with the, and, and literally the, he used the term war with the uh, Boston well, it, it becomes, yeah, it becomes tit for tat. I mean, Poe's criticism grew so sharp. I mean, his nickname was the Tomahawk Man. Um, yes. Which I, uh, which is a, creates an image of um, frontier and scalping. <laughs> so, yeah, um, you know, and, and, and the you savagery. Know. You know, they consider yes. Poe to some degree to be a, a savage. You know, he's, yeah. uh, although he was probably uh, among the most educated of the writers of the age. Uh, he uh, knew multiple languages. He was, uh, he was great at creating uh, uh, intellectual puzzles. Uh, he was uh, among the smartest and most educated of the writers of the age. Um, and there is, anyway, and there is that, yeah. And there is that tension of North and South. He, Right, portrayed right. the southern well, he gentleman, and he was. And but, you know, although of, born you know, in, although York, born Boston. in Boston, his yeah, although born in Boston when he was only a couple of years old, a few years old, his yeah. mother died in Richmond, Virginia, so he grew up in uh, in the South, uh, in, yeah. in what would be the uh, the capital of the South. Uh, so, uh, uh, although most of the most of his working life. Uh, was spent in uh, Philadelphia and New York. Uh, yeah. So he he worked mostly in in uh, the you know in what would be considered the 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 Yankee North. Uh, however, just to go back to uh, the framework of uh, Nevermore, uh, they came to me with the idea that he would be presenting uh, in his own time frame to an yeah. audience, that it would be a specific event uh, in, uh, in the last months of Poe's life when he's at his, uh, his emotional lowest uh, and he's the most vulnerable, which uh, is perhaps the most dramatic situation you could put him in. Uh, he's recently lost the, uh, his wife, his young wife, who was uh, the love of his life. Uh, he, uh, but he, uh, I, and so he is uh, tortured emotionally. But ironically, his poem, The Raven, has been recognized as perhaps the most important, but certainly the most popular poem written in America to that date. Right. Uh, so he is a uh, a popular. He's popular entertainment. If you can go, if you can say you went to hear Poe read The Raven, you you know you saw Hamilton. Uh, you you know you were you saw you know you saw the most uh, impressive uh, and important theatrical event of the age. Uh, exactly. So he you were, were much. Um, yeah, you were much in demand. 
if if you saw Poe in a, a lecture that centered around the Raven, his contemporary would be on the top shelf, Charles Dickens, who was touring mm-hmm. and doing readings. Yes. And yeah. Uh, yeah. then as time goes on, it's it, it's interesting how stars get created, but decades later, it's opera stars. Then soon after that, it's film stars like Chaplin, and then it's rock stars. Right. It's kind of interesting. Right. So this is why I've always said casually that the Raven made Poe a rock star at the end of his life. Yeah, it did. Yeah. He did. It did. It did. He was, he was indeed, as a matter of fact, and as I said, he was to some degree a ladies' man. At the time, he was courting three different women, uh, but, yeah, two of whom were whole... important American female poets. Uh, he, you know, he was, uh, you know, on, but on the other hand, he was, uh, he was, uh, his imp was, uh, his demon well, you're was, pulling... uh, was, at, was destroying him at the time, destroying him with drink and, uh, dis- destroying him with, uh, his, uh, his war, his, his savage nature. Uh, in relation yeah. to his his fellow writers, so it was a very interesting time in Poe's life to present him. They also, when Stuart and Jeffrey approached me, because they approached me together, when they approached me, they did have uh, the works that he would read lined up. We ended up leaving out uh, one or two of the poems. Uh, uh, because uh, it made a better through line uh, and uh, it it made it uh, uh, sharper dramatically to not to stop quite as often for a, a reading by Poe. And right. uh, but it but the 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 core of the evening is uh, Poe reading his work, but it's also uh, Poe. Uh, uh, bearing his soul. What I think is brilliant about Nevermore, an evening with Edgar Allan Poe, the play, what I've always loved about it is the hat trick. The, the, the so deftly, there are hundreds of one person shows, uh, some very well written, performed, and remembered. One thinks of the various, the entire career of uh mark twain tonight uh right and 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 some others and you know and there are others that the person just gets up and says and then i did this and then this year i did that and Mm -hmm. it really is a way in that and i keep rounding it up to 90 minutes uh, but in that evening with poe that the three of you have shaped and created you're able to touch these colors and levels of this person on the top on the surface it's oh i love annabelle lee there it is oh the telltale heart oh i love it and woven Mm -hmm. through that are these colors of this person without getting oh i I don't have the words dennis uh, pedantic with it or or um it, it he comes through living an arc that I think is really wonderful. Well, he was he was such an interesting person. He was, you know, I mean, and, you know, not he was so smart and he was so talented and he was uh, he could be so entertaining, uh, but he was uh, so.
so dramatic about it, and he was uh, mm. so self-defeating. He was so self-centered on the one hand and self-emasculating on the other that it, it that the drama is inherent in his very character. Uh, yes. It was, you know, it was, uh, as I did the research, and I had been, you know, I had been reading Poe and been teaching Poe, and I had been researching Poe for, I had researched Poe a great deal for uh, The Black Cat. Uh, so I had the research there, and I went on and did further research, and I read read his biography. I read a number of different biographical pieces on him. I read a lot of the stuff that he wrote for the magazines that nobody reads, but I mm. really read uh, what was, what was, uh, what was torturous and uh, also uh, invaluable were his letters where he, yeah. uh, he wrote in his own voice because he was a writer. He, uh, it was as if his speaking voice, his writing voice was his speaking voice. And mm. uh, so uh, I was able to find in that research language that I could use, ideas that I could use, uh, uh, low points and high points in his life that he could reflect upon. Uh, because if you, were, if you were in your last year, and to some degree, Poe was in such a decline that he might, must have known in somewhere in his uh, being that this might be his last year on earth. So he, when he reflected on his, when he reflects on his life, it's, it, it's the high points are so precious to him and the low points are so uh, almost unbearable uh, because it, it it, it, it's encapsulating his entire life uh, in, in these, in these moments uh, that he's presenting, and he can't help but have that come out in presenting himself to this audience. Uh, again, he's again been a pulling that, person. and again pulling that theme, the imp of the perverse, uh, right, right into it. Right, of course, yeah. And uh, he he's always been a he was always a public person. I mean, he was, as you said, he was he was writing and editing magazines almost his entire adult life. Uh, he was uh, pitching works to publishers. There's a scene in which he does that in The Black Cat uh, and uh, can, can hardly in, in, in imagines uh, uh, violence against this publisher, uh, which he can on, only barely stop himself from committing. Uh, it's, uh, he, he was always, to some degree, uh, performing. Uh, in his life, and uh, and it it comes out in his character. It's 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 at the core of his character, so that when he reads certain poems, such as "Alone," such as uh, "Annabelle Lee," uh, uh, such as "Dream Within a Dream," uh, you know what parts of his life he's referring to. Annabelle Lee right. is about losing Virginia, about losing his young wife, about losing Sissy. Sissy, uh, mm. and uh, it's it's a dramatic poem. It's not this. It's not this ideal poem. It's not this sad poem about some faraway land, uh, many many years ago in a kingdom by the sea. 
the kingdom by the sea is uh, was the, was the hovel that Poe lived mm-hmm. in when Virginia died. In when Virginia died of uh, tuberculosis, right in front of him. Uh, yeah. It was, uh, you know, it it's uh, so it's when he's reciting that poem, he's reliving losing her. Uh, so it it. All the pieces started to fall together so well. The language, the more I read his letters and his biography, the more I heard him. It was like, I've, I'm the, I must be the king of collaboration. I think if you put it together, I've collaborated <laughs> with more people on more works than almost anybody. Um, but this was like collaborating with Poe himself. It was a, a, a special experience. It, was, it, was, it wasn't just collaborating with the the genius of Stuart Gordon and the genius of Jeffrey Combs. It was collaborating. And, and Jeff will tell you this too. It's like, it's like being with Poe when he plays Poe. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like Poe's your, you know, it's like Poe's your friend, Poe's your, you know, Poe, you know, Poe's somebody you've, you've sat and drank with, uh, yeah. Poe's somebody you've carried, you've carried home cause he's drunk. Uh, you know, Poe's is somebody you've sat with as he, you know, as, as you see the spark in his eye when he's create, when he's writing a poetic line, uh, you know, it, it's, it's magic. Uh, it, and it was a, it was, I hate to use the term magic, but it, it was, you know, or, no, or I get, but it was a magic spiritual and working on for me, play. And for me as an audience member that in that is what the theater is about that, moment when the performer, the play, the actor, and the audience collage and meet. I fell in love with it, absolutely. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many thoughts and feelings. Uh, I just fell in love with the piece. Uh, I met, I had been talking to Stuart for months before I uh, produced it in Baltimore. Um so mm-hmm. Nevermore, An Evening with Edgar Allan Poe, premieres in Los Angeles at uh, mm-hmm. Poe's uh, 200th Bicentennial. And right. uh, that's when I started, uh, uh, Stuart, uh, the, you, Team Nevermore, basically, uh, they wanted <laughs> to take it around, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. in Baltimore, where I'm based, that's where... Uh, Poe's family settled, and that's where he's buried. Even though he was that's where he's Boston. buried. Yeah, boy, it was it was a uh, it was a pilgrimage. Uh, and pilgrimage. and yeah, I had been talking to Stuart for a few months because obviously he and I, when when we started trying to lay the groundwork to make it happen, wanted it to happen in two thousand nine during the bi- during right. Poe's bicentennial and. Um, Things didn't happen, uh, theaters, space. I was even looking at alternate spaces than Westminster Hall, which is basically rented for weddings, uh, uh, Mm -hmm. where Poe is buried in Baltimore. And so Mm -hmm. we were lucky to be able to do it for, uh, in 2010, the following year, uh, uh, year, uh, around around January, around Poe's birthday. um, Around his birthday, that's right. What I loved about meeting you and Stuart uh, when you, three of you, uh, and Jeff, of course, (laughs) 
who who's the show, uh, came to Baltimore was a spirit that I so love. It's a kindred spirit because I was quite shocked. I mean, the city of Baltimore didn't have a lot of money. Uh, the space, Westminster Hall, uh, uh, you know, basically uh, a hall for rent that was a, a church. Um, so mm-hmm. it's cavernous and it's echoey. It's not conducive to theater performance. But So I wish we had a little bit more money and a few more people to help. But you and Stuart jumped in like we were all 20 years old doing theater again. <laughs> no, we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the sound, you ran the light. Yes, you ran the um, sound. Well, there's only one. There's only one major light cue. There's there's two major light cues. Right. And, and right. if you remember correctly, I, I was late. If you remember correctly, I was late with one of them. So <laughs> <laughs> it's not, you know, this isn't, this isn't a come on, kids, let's make a theater, for, you know, show. This is a oh god, we have to put Dennis back there. Okay, well, let's see what we can do. Uh, but you know, but it, I, you know, happily didn't. You know, it's, it's such a good piece, and Jeff is so good at it, and Stuart that the Stuart was so so fine a director and so good on the. Oh no, Stuart was Stuart was there for most of the performances. There was you know no yeah. Stuart Stuart uh, is the kind of director who who doesn't just direct and then leave. He comes in and he he gives he gives you notes all the time. Uh, you know he's uh, he's he the, the show can always be better. The show can always be. Uh, have more yeah. have be more effective. The show can oh you know oh you you missed a laugh there you know oh what if we did this you know what if we just took a, a little pause there I mean uh, so you know, and and we wouldn't have missed performing in Baltimore for the world. I mean it was just a train oh, ride for yeah. me. Uh, but those guys had to fly out and 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 as I said for them especially but for me as well. It was a pilgrimage. I, I had never been to Poe's grave. I had never been to, uh, you know, I, I knew Baltimore very little, but it was, it was an important, it was mm-hmm. important to Poe. Uh, you know, I, I live on Edgar Allan Poe Street in New York. New York has, uh, has mm-hmm. several named streets and 84th mm-hmm. Street on the west side from West End Avenue to Riverside Avenue, it, Riverside Drive is uh, Edgar Allan Poe Street. Uh, and mm. I live on West End Avenue at 84th Street because there was a farm here on this property uh, back in the 1840s where Poe rented an outbuilding uh, where he lived for nine months, where he and Virginia and her mother, uh, Mud, Mud, Muddy, Mud, yeah, uh, lived Muddy, yeah. for nine months. In those mm. nine months, he wrote The Raven. So I live <laughs> in, within listening distance of yeah. Poe reading The Raven to Virginia. Uh, and uh, so I thought, I, you know, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm at one pilgrimage site already. But going right. to Baltimore, ba- Baltimore was one I was missing. Uh, you know, and, uh, it was, we are, we were for, we are forever grateful, uh, and we're as a group, we've lost Stuart, but we were as a, as a, as a triumvirate, as team nevermore, as you call us, we, we were, uh, always, and, and we'll eternally be grateful to you for bringing us there and giving us that opportunity. Well, I've, I've loved the, 
Nevermore, an evening with Edgar Allan Poe, has had a life of its own for over a decade. And gosh, Jeff has performed it in less than ideal convention ballrooms. To, <laughs> in uh, Las Vegas. Both, in a, uh, in a, Las uh, Vegas and the one Star yeah, Trek um, cruise. Yeah, and then I was again in, uh, in, in, in a venue in a venue in Montreal uh, where uh, people were eating. There were tables where, you could, where, <laughs> where, where people were drinking. You know, uh, you know. I mean, it was, but it was, theater. it was that was it was it was very funny. And Stuart was very proud of this. It was at uh, one of the most important uh, horror horror and fantasy film festivals in uh, in North America uh, is in yeah. Montreal. And, uh, and, and we, we were asked to perform Nevermore there, uh, and, uh, Jeff did it. And it was for an audience of, uh, film freaks of horror film fans. Few of them go to the theater. Not many of them go to the theater. It stunned them live. It turned that whole, (laughs) uh, a whole new audience on to live theater. Uh, and, and we were so proud of that, especially Stuart. Stuart was incredibly proud of that. You did a, um, you did a, uh, what do you call it? A, a video panel, uh, kind of an anniversary of that, I think, which is, mm-hmm. which was wonderful. Yeah. I remember yeah. watching and listening to that. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was a memorial to, to Stuart as well. Uh, but specifically, was, yeah. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my next yeah. involvement that I'm very, very proud of was, in Poe's birthplace, the production yeah. that was done Halloween night uh, uh, in uh, Boston. That's what was so special about that one. It was Halloween. It was, yeah, it was, it was, like, it was Halloween is, night. This is, you've been there, you've been there, and you've been responsible for a couple of the most spectacular performances <laughs> in, 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 in great, you know, in great, in, you know, the venues were strange. This was a movie theater uh, where, yeah. where uh, you know, you know, Poe films were being shown uh, on Halloween night. Uh, but it was, you know, the venues were strange, but all the better for it. Uh, and, and, the fa- and doesn't the play hold up even in a, in, you know, it was, the play was built for where it was performed originally in L.A., which is a very small and intimate theater space. And if Little you can be box, in an yeah. intimate theater Steve space Allen. with yeah. Yeah, Steve Allen Theater, which doesn't exist anymore. They, they, I, they, I believe they recently uh, gutted it. Uh, but it yeah. was for a couple of hundred people. It was a hundred ninety-nine seat house, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and 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 a, a dedicated theatrical house. Okay, if you, yeah. if you ever get a chance to see it, Jeff does it. If Jeff is doing it in a house like that near you, go see it. But the play, but the piece holds up. In as you said, a a a wedding hall. It show it holds up in a movie theater. He did it in a movie theater in uh, in Terrytown for the Sleepy Hollow Film Festival, Fantasy Film Festival. And you're talking Uh, about you're talking about a contemporary box movie theater, not a not an old auditorium, but a no. It was it was an oh it was an in between space. It was an in between. Oh, okay. you mean in okay. uh, in Baltimore, in Boston? Uh, no, Boston, Boston is an was, old vaudeville house. Boston it was an old theater. It was an old theater. The thing yeah. is, they're huge, and, and it works you know, everywhere. Yeah, you yeah. know, they're they're huge, and you filled them. 
you know, you filled those spaces. So there's yeah. like, you know, a thousand people there, you know, like, and it's, you know, and, and Jeff is performing as, you know, as Poe might have for, so he's got to project differently and remain Poe. He has and to be uh, emote slightly differently and still be intimate. You're absolutely right. It's a one person show. Jeff yeah. is a genius. <laughs> yes, and he succeeds. Didn't he succeed? Didn't he succeed? I mean, really well. I, and this is, if I may, for a moment, the proudest thing I am to contribute to this work is that, for the moment, for the time being, there is at least the audio document, yeah. the audio yeah. record of the show. From Redfield Arts Audio, available now worldwide on Audible. Jeffrey Combs, Nevermore, An Evening with Edgar Allan Poe. Written by Dennis Paoli. Directed by Stuart Gordon. Recorded before a live audience. You are here this evening, no doubt, to hear yours truly recite the most popular poem ever written upon these shores. <laughs> For many years, my, my, my stories, my tales, they're more popular than my poetry. Magazines and readership just demanded. Oh, new tale, every issue. Oh, God, do you hear it? Louder, 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 louder. Villains, I shrieked. Dissemble no more, I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here, here, it is the beating of his hideous heart. Which I think is an extraordinary. Is that Boston? It is that Boston performance, and it is a great performance. In hindsight, as marvelous as that was for me personally, the only little thing I regret, but yet at the same time, I'm glad I didn't. Ha we didn't have to. At no point, Stuart could not be there. Stuart yeah. was doing uh, the music, the reanimator of the musical. Yeah, and I think he was tied up and couldn't uh, be a part mm -hmm. of the Boston performance at all. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I'm the hybrid stage manager. Yes, you were. Protector and associate producer. Mm -hmm. Just making the making it all work for that Halloween mm -hmm. performance. And and it worked it worked uh, great. And the spirit in the audience was so good. I mean, oh, they came in costumes, a number of them. You know, the night was this special night when everybody was everybody was so everybody who was there was so ready for it. Uh it and was, the welcome it was, was so warm and and weren't they they were and you know let's give them credit they got the jokes now of course a number of the jokes are aimed at bostonians <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, so they were there for it, for it. They but, could, but they, they got all you're absolutely right that audience was because i had some time to you know, uh, from the time they were able to open the house to 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 uh, me calling places for Jeff, and we 
started on time. Mm-hmm. And I think I did the opening rap. That That is the only direction I got from Stuart. You need to tell the audience to turn off their cell phones. Oh, yeah. Set, set them in the mindset that they are now in late 1840s. Um, I remember yeah. distinctly right. the direction. Mm-hmm. Just turn them off now. And uh, But uh, that audience was this mix of movie fans, Jeff fans, Poe fans, Halloween fans, theater fans. It was, it was, yeah. it was, it, you know, like 800 people, the best audience the play could have. Uh, you know, we, we always get a few academics too, because they, you yeah. know, they want to see, they want to see Poe, you know, they want to, you know, they want the experience, uh, you know, uh, fictional though it is, they want the experience of, of see, seeing Poe deliver his, deliver his art, you know, read his works. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and the mix, it's remarkable how it becomes one audience. It becomes one wrapped audience. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, focused on this one figure on stage. Uh, you know, they, he, he, he focus the, their attention is so sharp. Uh, you can you can almost hear it in the uh, uh, you, you can almost, you can the fact that you don't hear it is what you're hearing in the in the recording uh, in the audio book of the performance. It is yeah. it, it's it's palpable. Uh, well, that's and, the and difference it, between it, it was remarkable. Well, that's the difference between the mediums. The the, the audio book version mm-hmm. is got its strengths, but it is not what mm-hmm. makes live theater. And with pandemic today, all theaters trying to survive, they're doing virtual things. I mean, they're basically doing mm-hmm. forms of television and film. Um, right. But when right. Jeff can do the play again, I, mm-hmm. well, I urge people wherever it is happening in the world that they've got to see it. It is, it yeah. is, it yeah. is marvelous, which leads me, this is a perfect segue. Um, you know, we do hope, obviously, with pandemic, with COVID-19, that there are lots of, I want to see Jeff tour this play and, and do it for as long mm-hmm. as he would like to do it. There has been um, talk, and there's been uh, of, of two possible directions to go into. One, like the audiobook version, that there is just a good professional um, video document of the show done over a couple of performances in, in a really good theater to document it. Uh, that would be marvelous. But somewhere along the line of the life of, of Nevermore, uh, you wrote a screenplay. Isn't, wasn't there an yeah, idea to, do, you know, uh, to adapt it into a, a film? An actual, an actual feature film, yeah, um, yeah. That it, it's, uh, yeah, that screenplay exists. Uh, it, uh, it has the, uh, it's, it's a good piece of work, uh, and I'm very proud of it. And uh, it would be uh, if the Black Cat was uh, a successful presentation of Poe, a dramatic presentation of Poe. Uh, in film, in in film form, uh, this would be as well. Uh, this yeah. would be uh, the next step uh, in in that creative journey. Uh, 
so uh, I, I indeed the script is uh, the script is there. It's just uh, you know it's hard to get films made, uh, and yeah. uh, it's as as and some of the issues that existed for the Black Cat. Uh, in terms of budget, et cetera, it would exist for uh, a screenplay of Nevermore since it takes place in 1840. So it's a costume drama. Uh, yeah. And uh, if we were going to film it, you have to film it as, as if it really took place and therefore you need an audience. So you have uh, a number of more, you have a larger, you have a larger quote unquote cast, even though they have no lines. You have a larger yeah, yeah. cast, and well, uh, if, if you are going to if you are going to dramatize if you are going to dramatize the reading of uh, uh, the short story, the Telltale Heart, you have to dramatize the Telltale Heart, which means you have a couple more characters as well, even though they don't have any lines. Right, so, right. Uh, what it's 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 kind of a a, a a tricky film to pull off. But we think the script works really well. And then, of course, there was the pandemic. So, you know, nobody's, nobody's producing now. But once the pandemic's over, uh, we are, that, that, that script will revive itself. And we hope that the film gets greenlit, gets produced, gets greenlit produced and uh, that everybody has a chance to see it. Uh, yeah. But even if that I don't know happens, if I ever... Even, it, even if the, just a, just one point more uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. about a film version, even if a film version happens, or as you said, a uh, a really you know a, a three camera two performance uh, document uh, of the uh, theatrical event is created and appears on uh, PBS or something uh, or yeah. Netflix. Uh, the fact is. If Jeff is doing what you said before, still is true. If Jeff is doing the show in uh, in your town, run to get a ticket. Uh, go right. see it. Uh, there's nothing like sitting in the audience with Jeff uh, with Poe, and it's nothing like sitting in the audience and spending an hour and a half with Edgar Allan Poe on stage. Yes, you know, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I, I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but Stuart and I, um, during one of the periods of hunting for financing for the film of Nevermore, um, talked about, um, he picked my brain about where, two, two aspects of it, where to shoot exteriors on the East Coast. And uh, you're in the, in the mid-Atlantic, you're in the epicenter of Civil War reenactors, which meant, which means that uh, by and large for certain moments, scenes, uh, you've got reenactors in period clothing to hire as extras for people approaching mm -hmm. the lecture hall, this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. And uh, right. we talked about that a couple of times uh, on a couple of thrusts to try to find financing for it. Um, and that was you know, very, very exciting. And um, in the meantime, uh, as soon as, and I will nudge him, and I don't think he's going to need much nudging, but, um, you know, when he can, I really will be encouraging Jeffrey 
and do everything I can to see, you know, Nevermore on stage happen again in the future because it is just such a just don't make just don't give me the light kit. Just don't make <laughs> me the light kit. Uh, uh, you know, if you don't, I, I don't, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing tech for the show. You know, I'll, I'll be glad to, I'll be glad to come and watch. I'd love to come and watch. I'll talk afterwards if you want a Q&A, but you know, no, no tech. Oh, then, then a seat is guaranteed and Q&As. That's the deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, marvelous. Thank you so much for talking about it. been a pleasure. Never been a pleasure. pleasure. Oh. I love, I love, I love talking about uh this these experiences because i love reliving them uh and mm. thank you uh not just for the chance to chat uh but for the uh but but for the creating those opportunities to perform in in, in two of the most important places in Poe's life and therefore in in uh, the creative life of uh, of a show that was very important to to uh Jeff and Stu and i uh, in in Baltimore and in Boston, and uh, and it was a truly extraordinary uh, getting to getting to work with you. Thank you so much. Oh, Dennis, thank you. No, thank you. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, a warm big thank you to Dennis Paoli for the work that uh, he and I have done. Uh, the end of last year to be able to release Nevermore and Evening with Edgar Allan Poe uh, on Audible and other platforms. And if you haven't heard it yet, um, it is such a marvelous, marvelous performance and production that I hope that you uh, take advantage of its availability and, uh, and give it a listen. Thank you, Dennis, for joining me on the podcast, and thank you for listening. And I hope that you continue to stay with us. We'll have Dennis back. Uh, there's so much more to talk about, uh, playwriting and screenwriting. And I hope you've been enjoying listening to our eclectic mix of interviews, audio drama, essays, and just uh, our strange audio predilections, all coming from Redfield Arts Audio. Take care of yourselves. Until next time. <laughs>